Come on, show yourself. What are you, afraid? Surely you haven't forgotten my face. Come back here. Fine. So the battle is finally drawing to an end now. Build. Hey, build. dudes in their 30s still talking about D&D. Yeah. Sorry, we're going to talk about more D&D. Lots of D&D. He doesn't know how to fight. He's Andy. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. You have one move, the headlock. I do, but God help you if I get you in a headlock. And surely you haven't forgotten my face. I'm Bill. Uh, no. Although it's been a while. It has. Hi, buddy. Hi. How's it going? Josh isn't here, and we're watching Record of Lodos War. It's pretty good. Yeah, I would say so. It's, uh... <laughs> that, that sounded worse than I meant it to sound. No, uh, Josh not is... Not me. Josh is not here when we're, when we're recording this. We're recording it during the month. Technically not yet of August, but close enough. The the month and a week that Josh is not with us, essentially. It's March. No, that's not... not mm, nope. Uh... Do we want to tell them what time it is? Damn smart. Or do we want to, like, make this nebulous so they don't Uh, know? I don't care. This could be any time. This could be any time, but Josh isn't here. Damn smart weather. Fucking smart weather. No, we are here to talk about Record of Lotus War, including uh, two episodes once again. This is episode, this is the fourth episode we've done of these, so we're already, after this one, we'll be more than halfway done with our reviews of Record of Lotus War. I didn't do mine. Is that a problem? Uh... <laughs> we'll fix that in post. <laughs> Yay! Oh, Lord. No, we're going to be talking about Episode 7, The War of Heroes. That's my review. And then eventually, I guess, we're going to record Episode 8, <laughs> which is yours, which is entitled Requiem for Warriors. Thank you for constantly breaking the fourth wall here <laughs> for our listeners. Uh, but! <laughs> stop it. Let's just jump he said, in. He said butt. Let's just jump in, Let's shall jump we? in the butt. Let's not jump in... Oh, Jesus. Let's jump into episode 7 of Record of Lotus War, the OVA. Again, if you want to watch along with us, go check out Funimation. Funimation has the rights to the Record of Lotus War OVA, as well as Chronicles of the Heroic Knight. Or if you and don't want to watch with us, watch it anyway. You really should watch it. Yeah. The OVA is fantastic. You've already downloaded us, so you can you can go. It's yeah. fine. Uh, no, that's not what I meant. No, you should st- no, you should stay here and listen, or pause right here. Go watch the Lotus War episode, and then come back, and you'll have full frame of reference. Or you could be like Adam, who never watches any anime but listens to us anyway, and suddenly somehow manages to figure out what the hell's going on, or at least imagines that he does. I love you, Adam. You should join us on an episode soon. I want to see the anime that Adam thinks that we're watching. Like in his head, yeah. If we have an animator friend, no, that's no. not say that would no, be too just, difficult. I no, just, but I yeah. want Adam to like make a web comic of what he thinks these shows are. No, I think 
I don't think Adam's an artist, but if he were, I would want him to, like, just draw out or sketch out something. Like, his thought. Yes. That... Ugh. Or, like, if we do get Adam on here at some point, which I want to, have him, like, like say, okay, you listen to our entire review of Gurren Lagann, like, in your words, <laughs> like, describe the plot in the next two minutes, ready, set, go. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just, just to get an idea of, like, in his head how he sees it. Yeah, that would be interesting. It would be. Or like a, that could be a good bonus episode. All three of them. Adam. Adam oh my god. Re-explains to us. Yeah, we could do quizzes. We could be like, we could we could send him. It wouldn't be really good for a, uh, an audio medium, but we could send him like pictures of characters and be like, which one of these G's do you think is Kamina? And send him like Vash. Send him like <laughs> like Yoko. <laughs> you know, and just like I think you might figure out which one Yoko. That's is. true. No, I think that I think that would be really interesting though to like since he does has no idea. Name this character. <laughs> no, I'm thinking he just comes on and he goes, we go, all right, now you tell us what happened on Excel Saga. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be fair, Excel Saga is the only one he's ever watched. Okay, fine. You tell us what you think happened on Trigun. But even then, still, like, what, what do you think happened in Excel Saga could still be a valid question. All right, let's get to Lotus War, shall we? Uh, so episode seven is The War of Heroes, and this is an important fucking episode. Importante. Super pivotal. Plot-wise. Pivotal Ponte. <laughs> Are you calling moves for, like, Lucha Underground? Like, what is happening? Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, so. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop doing that. Thank you. Lots of horses. Lots of horses. Horses are important. So many horses. We see a lot of men marching or riding horses to war. Like you do. Yeah. Among these men of Valis are Parn, Deedlet, and Woodchuck. And Deedlet takes the time to school Wood on the basics of military tactics. You can't uh, you can't lump Deedlet in as the men of Valis for, for a lot of reasons. That, no, you're right. I said alongside the men of, of Valis. Okay. I did. Uh, but yeah, but apparently Deedlet all of a sudden knows everything about military tactics because she's like, yeah, uh, we're in the worst possible position because we're all going to die. Pretty much. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, if she's the, the, the GM's girlfriend... Is she, like, some sort of, like, college student and she, she like, just recently took, like, a history class or something? And it's like, uh, actually, I could tell you actually something about this. And she, get, she got really excited to, like, be in the game right then and there. Right, because she was talking to Woodchuck, who is the GM in the first place. Oh, that's true. That's true. You're right. Good point. So he's like, here's my cool thing where you guys are in a place of honor. She's like, no, we're not. We're going to die. Remember, I'm taking that, uh, you know... Uh, world history of, like, war class or something. Anyway. Parn is smiling at this, by the way. Probably because he knows the actual tactics. Either that or he's getting a chubby because she's starting to talk like a king would talk. He's like, ooh, maybe she could be like Cashew when I pretend when we have sex. Or I could be like, maybe he just likes it when she's mean to people. That could be. He could just be an asshole. That's possible. Uh, I was going to say he's maybe submissive. Yeah. Maybe. You're, Ooh, yell at me next. Yes. So, the weirdest fucking thing in the entire episode happens next. That's saying something. A dude on horseback just kind of slides in the <laughs> yeah. frame. And he's just staring. Poochie's so, right up. Yep. Yeah, just Poochie's right up. Staring sideways, like, directly at Parn. And he's just got this giant, creepy fucking smile on his face. He looks like he's waiting for them to act so he can watch a devil's three-way. No, you're probably right. He's like, hello. 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 We 
should make fun of this guy. He has kids. Oh, he does have kids. Yeah, he rolls up, and Parn just kind of smiles back, and he all of a sudden is like, yeah, you see this necklace? You see this bling? It's a gift from my son. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's Parn- for good luck. Yeah, for good luck. That's it. That's all it is. Uh, and it's then, made out of macaroni noodles. Yes. <laughs> a man on horseback then comes riding up and tells King Fawn that Cashew's been attacked by monsters. And Parn, of course, is upset because his boyfriend, Cashew, has been stranded. Oh, Cashew, why must you be so delicious? <laughs> oh. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, a peanut. Uh, <laughs> it worked on a lot of levels. That did. That really did. Cat, we cut to Cashew's army. And we get some uh, old stock footage once again. Oh, man. The exact same scene for they the They put a new episode. filter on it, I think. They did. That's about all they changed. But it's like the same thing with the monsters running in. It's a little fuzzier and A little bluer. fuzzier. They get cut up. We do cut then to Cashew cutting down one of the monsters. And him rallying his men, saying that these animals don't know how to fight. I think he said that before, too. I think he did. Maybe, maybe it's supposed to be a rewind, like a recap moment. I don't know. I, no, I... No, just wait. Just just trying to save on money. Um, There's a lot of points in this episode where you can see the money mm-hmm. saving. Yep. Like still scenes, just the mouth moving. And as a kid, I never noticed it before. Yeah. But now that we watch lesser animes that do it a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now even on stuff like this or Trigun, you know, I see it. Yep. I think in this episode, it's even though it's visible, it's not as egregious. Right. There's narrative reasons for some of the, their choices, the stylistic, artistic choices. We spoke about that, and I can kind of agree. When we get there, we'll talk and we'll, about yeah, it. We'll, yeah, when we get there, we'll talk about that for sure. Cashew is about to get cut down by a dark elf after his rallying of his troops, but then... Who, again, comes in the battle screaming. Ah! Whereas he was kept quiet. He could have killed him. He probably could have killed him. Yeah. But he's saved by Prince Chester, who's flying on his drake thing. Did you say Chester? Is it Jester? I think it's Jester. Oh, no. I think you're right. I think I did it again. I think it autocorrected again. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Prince Jester, who shows up, and he's flying on his dragony Drake thing. He's there to save the day. And Jester talks down to Cashew a bit, saying, Ha-ha! Good thing I'm here to save you, you dumb fuck! And I'm, I think that's a quote, right? Was that pretty a quote? Pretty much. Okay. And uh, they just go to start fucking up the bad guys. We cut to Carla. God, this episode cuts a lot. Like, it does. Yeah, like, a lot. Carla is watching from her magical castle, which is apparently in some submerged swamp somewhere. She says, the game is afoot. Maybe not directly quoted, but essentially calls this a game. Has begun. Calls it afoot. Calls it afoot. We cut back to Parm. Delit asks what's on his mind because he's staring off. Oh no, this is when the creepy guy slides in. I got my notes mixed up. Yes, yeah, so this is when he comes in and Parn looks over like, can I help you? And he catches the bling and he says, it's good luck. Yes. Yes. We go to Ashram, and he tells his men that they are to drive their prey into the hunting grounds. God, his hair is just so fucking majestic. Yeah, right? See? Like, it's just blowing and billowing behind him. So hot. He's like, I had to figure out how to stand in the wind. To get to the right angle. And he reports to Beld, who was apparently sleeping before. He doesn't want to be at a right angle. His hair would go out. That's true. No way. Like... Yeah, so we, we, get a, we get a shot of Beld. There. Yes, I see what she did there. And Bell looks like he's literally asleep. He's like, huh? Okay, wake me again when it's my turn to get, get on the stage. Cashew! Tell me when my turn comes around. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just going to bounce my dice here and check my phone. Okay. So Parn suddenly shows up to help Cashew. Yep. It seems like pretty convenient that he just happens to show up that quickly. I feel like they would have to have been a, a little bit further away. Plot hole. Plot hole. 
We need him there now. Fuck it. And he's calling out to his lover, and Fawn's army is ready, and uh, both his and Beld's swords start glowing, which, again, so cool. Super cool. Love the effect. Very neat. Much glowing. Very awesome. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, what all Doge mean there? The battle takes place in an enclosed valley, and Beld shows up on a bad fucking ass fucking black fucking steed. Fucking cool. Lots of armor. Really awesome. It is animate. They had to they had to do these cost saving measures because there are some really beautiful and really cool animation scenes in this episode. There are, and I kinda get why they did that, that way. Yeah, it this was totally badass. And then he just exchanges pleasantries with Fawn for a while. Well they are old friends, right? That's true. No, it makes it makes sense. It really does. And the good guys realize that they're sitting ducks. And kind of a cool thing. Visually and auditorily, the music stops, we get dramatic stills of everyone, and then the battle commences as Ashram raises his sword into the air. Cool scene. No, it is. Absolutely. Very cool scene. We cut back suddenly to Ato. Ato has apparently some sort of Parn sense. Like, he just, like, (laughs) looks off in the distance and is like, Parn. That's what he was doing when he did the Parn thing. Yes! He's activating his Parn sense. Yes! That's that's how you do it. That's that's the... uh, that's the somatic and the verbal components. Clap, clap. Parn. Was Ito's dad seven toe? <laughs> Get out. Get out of your own house. <laughs> like, you, you don't even deserve to live here now. I, I, I live in your basement now. Um, so. <laughs> no. You don't know that. Seven toe, eight toe, nine toe. All right, that was even worse. All right, so. Slayton tells Ato to go to Parn for some reason. Because apparently. Because plot. Well, because Slayton is all emo here. He's like, nothing matters anyway. Everyone's going to die. Right? Yeah, he's all like, it doesn't matter. This war is going to kill everyone anyway. Go to Parn. I think the idea of it is the contrast off of what Carla's plan is. Uh-huh. Because Bell still wants to do something that he thinks is reasonable. Right. You know, he wants to make everybody together as one nation by conquering. Mm-hmm. Fawn wants to... Make a big alliance and make everybody peaceful by being friends. Right. Either way, that stops war. Yeah. And Carla's ultimate mission, we find out, is to keep the shit stirred. Right. Keep war going no and matter so that's, what. That's sort of slain reiterating that point from the other perspe- other side. Yes. No, I think that's a good way of, of actually kind of pointing that out. Foreshadowing it, really. But yeah, at the time, he just kind of has a random... Emo. Yeah, it's a really random emo moment. But Ato takes him up on it. He gets on a horse and he leaves. And that leaves Gim and Slain alone. Gim talks down to Carla's idea that Lodos could be saved by war. And Slain says, don't worry. They have their own battle to rage. A different sort of battle. Which makes me wonder if they're going to do it. Who? Slain and Gim. No. They're going to get down and dirty. No. Dwarf, dwarf dirty. Tug on that beard a little bit. That's why I sent Ato away. Ato probably want to watch. Oh, no. no. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, they probably were trying to do it, and Ato's, like, creepily staring. (laughs) Like, freaking... Oh, I can't think of the character's name from The Walking Dead. Uh, that did that. Carl? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's got one eye. That's not as creepy. Uh, Depends which way he's facing. (laughs) Eugene. Yeah, he's all all Eugene-ing it like The Walking Dead. Creepy? Not creepy. Oh, my God. Creepy? Not creepy. Ivoid? Not Ivoid. Ivoid? Not Ivoid. Oh, God. Oh, that's a callback <laughs> to a different season. Uh, Slain? Yeah, that happened. So Wart is sitting by a fire, 
And he's, he replays a scene in his mind where the heroes meet up with him. And apparently, once they met up with him, because remember, they were we knew that they were going to search out Wart for information about Carla. Yes. Apparently, Carla was, like, still there hanging out with Wart when they showed up. Because, like, she's, like, standing or behind Or she just teleports. Wart. One of the two. It's hard. She's to, just kind of everywhere. She is kind of just everywhere. Anywhere she needs to be plot convenient wise, she could just kind of appear. And apparently at the time, Parn talks about her kind of siding with Marmo, saying like, how dare you do that? To which she then responds, surprisingly, all right, so do you want me to help uh, your king instead? I can go help Fawn. And Parn's like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> He's so thrown off by this. Duh, Yes. I just love how thrown off he is, though. He's just kind of like, that was not the response I was expecting. Right. No, we don't want your help? Question mark? I don't think. What What am I doing here? What What's happening? This is the place I would fuck up your campaign. No, this would be... <laughs> this would be... No, this is you running the scene right here. Like, yeah. just, just to, like, have the, the bad guy say that. And us going, what? Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know. what he, What is he getting at? Bill, you're, you're fucking... You're confusing me. On purpose. But the other way around, you you do this scene, and I go, yes. No, yeah. Yeah, that would be how that would go. Yes, uh, 110%. She calls them pawns to her game. And Wart spouts some prophetic thing about Parn, saying, like, maybe he's the one. The chosen one. Oh, God. We go back to the Cause, battle. Because anime. Because anime. We go back to the battle, and Parn shouts and fights, and we get this sort of like sepia tone photo that's just kind of scanned across of the battle with sounds of battle going on in the background for like five seconds before we see Parn fighting more monsters, more scanning of the photo, still shots, Call more savings. screaming faces. But I like it though. And here's why. And this is the reason why we mentioned like uh, the kind of the callbacks and connections. Episode one, when we get the extended scene before like the piloty kind of stuff with them fighting the dragon. Yeah. They tell the whole story the of mural. Marmo and, or uh, like the island of Lodos and how they get like separated and all that. And you get the telling from the mural and you just get scenes shown from the actual mural. I think we get a similar sort of visual here where this big giant battle is going on, but is not being told in the moment, but is almost like someone is looking back on history and looking at a drawing of it and we're scanning across little bits of the drawing seeing the fight. So we're doing cost savings, but we're incorporating it into the storytelling. Yes. Fair enough. And I, and, I, and that makes That's it... clever. It is clever. Absolutely it's clever. And we'll see more of those callbacks to the original mural and the telling of the story in just a minute as well. So we get a quick shot back to Valis and Princess Fianna and she's told the battle isn't going well and she doesn't... You can tell she's bothered, but she keeps a straight face. Right. The ever-stoic princess kind of thing. Royalty. We cut back to Parn and Ashram. Because Parn sees Ashram once again. And he's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm <laughs> going to kill him good. And Delit shows up to try to help. Because, of course, this doesn't go well. Parn is just simply not high enough level yet. When Delit tries to help, Pirates steps in. Knocks some daggers that Delit throws away. Ashram knocks the last dagger away, which... Gives Parn just enough time and just enough distraction to cut a big, giant blow that only cuts his cheek. Yes. Which is another sort of anime-ish Oh, yeah, yeah, that little mar of beauty on the face kind of thing. Yep, absolutely. It's just funny because it's such a wild, large swing that Parn throws. And all that we can see is, like, one cut and a drop of blood that comes down the cheek. It does the anime thing of, like, freezing so we don't see what happened. Yep. This little drop. Absolutely. Hey, meanwhile... Fawn is screaming like a senile old man in the battlefield. 
Well, you know. <laughs> Build! <laughs> Build! Cold face me, or perhaps you are chicken, you son of a bitch. Pretty much. I think it's almost a dark clock. <laughs> hey. hey, come here. And we get a break card. Sweet. But we come back immediately after, because we're not going to do the break card here. And Fawn, we come back to Fawn going, Hey, Bell! <laughs> it's almost comical. Baby Ruth! So, oh my god. So, so terrible. Maybe it sounded cooler in Japanese. Maybe it did. It was not. The but, American but, voice actor did not do a good job with this. Or maybe he was just trying to match the mouth. And I couldn't think, do a real good job of matching it. Because I think it, there's a lot of that here. It worked better in Japanese for him to be yelling. Yes, and there's a scene later on where they're crossing swords and <laughs> stop it. And they're... Bell is... No, Fawn is talking. And he's having to like sound really labored because the lip flaps are just like so far apart in moving yeah. that like he just sounds really awkward. Uh, so the armies have lined up on both sides for the showdown of the century. It's Beld versus Fawn. You, have... <laughs> you got Beld and Ashra on one side. You've got Fawn and Cashew on the other. We get dramatic shots of both men as well as Fianna. Each draws their swords. We get a quote. The past is close to us. This is the only way left, my old friend Beld. I love that little bit, my old friend. And I think mm-hmm. uh, Beld says the same thing, like my old friend, Fawn. So good. We get really cool dramatic music. We get a shot of them running at each other. And this is where we get an- our second parallel. Uh, because we get a scene of Beld coming in on one side, kind of like face distorted and turned and like coming in and then Fawn the same thing. And it's like in the first episode where we saw like, Marfa and Cardis and like these goddesses that are like coming in and you see like a close up of their faces coming after each other. So I like that. That so was each one of them had a champion that yes. was, was sort of the final Yeah. So is that Parn or Kashu and then Ashram? Yeah, I could see that. That's because they are kind of setting it up. In the background you always see Ashram, and in the background you always see Kashu or Parn. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really good storytelling. And those images of those faces coming into the battlefield are really well animated. Yep. Like, you could just see, like, every emotion on the face. Very cool scene. And it makes sense when you see the cost savings when later on there's a reason for it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's totally worth it in this episode to, to have those moments so you can have some interesting storytelling, but then also the really cool animation moments as yep. well. They fight. They talk about fate. They talk about ownership of Lodos. Unification and conquest, it's all the same, says Beld, when Fawn says it was never about owning Lotus for me. We cut to Carla briefly, and she says, Lotus will be neither unified nor conquered. Right. Cool line, too. Love it. We go back to the fight. They are fighting. Fight, fight, fight. There's not a lot to say about the fight itself. I mean, just a lot of back and forth sword slashes. Weird cuts to the different people watching. And then we get an even weirder moment. Of Par and Zach Morrising, like time freezes, everyone has stopped moving, but he can move around, and he's like, "What the fuck?" And you hear Wart saying, "Parn, you must stop Carla. She's one evil bitch. You must stop Mister Belding. <laughs> Emperor Belding. Sorry, Emperor. Oh my God! This is just Saved by the Bell. That's all this is. Yep. This is Saved by the Bell, the medieval years. That's what this is." <laughs> There's a title. Uh, yeah. 
Wart starts talking about Carla's loss of humanity, says that they need to save the world, and gives a hint saying, just knock off her fucking circlet, because that's her real self. Yep. Hint my ass. Yeah, no, that that's that's drilling us uh, the, the right into the plot. Deedlet finally unfreezes and is like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? And we get more fighting, more banter, and they meet for the final blows, each striking one another. Both seem to fall from their respective blows, but surprisingly, it's Beld who stands up. Yep, Beld gets back up after it. But Fawn doesn't. Fawn is dead. Yeah, Fawn is dead. We see him like, oh yeah, like, and Um, that actually, the I remember, I think back to the first time I watched this, I was shocked. You don't expect that. You would expect them both to be. Yeah, either they're both dead, they're both still alive, or Fawn. The heroes won. The heroes won. But you get the exact opposite here, and even fucking cooler. Because you get, like, the shots of, like, the good guys being like, oh, holy shit. You get Beld kind of limping away, Ashram running in toward him like, like, my lord. And then, flash of the circlet, giant, like, glimmer of it's like light. like a purple fireball. Yeah, like, in the, lo- in, 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 the uh, in the sky. And what comes down is a giant fucking spear. I don't know if it was a giant spear. I think it was just a spear. And it, well, and it just buries itself into Beld's chest. Beld is stuck Yep. Into the spear. Impales him and impales then sticks him to the ground to hold him up. Fucking awesome. His chest is just like this gore everywhere. There's blood spattered everywhere. And we get Carla's repeated statement about Lotus not being unified nor conquered. That was part like, oh yeah, sorry. I told her she could help us. Yeah, right? And we get a, a shimmering of the circlet. And to add insult to injury, Beld gets a fucking lightning jolt. Yep. Into the spear, through his body. He's screaming with what energy he has left. His last death throws. That was just mean. It was. That, like, was... that, well, that was a dick move. Yeah. Absolutely. That wasn't even accomplishing anything. I've got to say, that end of that battle scene and all of that that followed, fucking cool. It was great. And so unexpected. Mm-hmm. Like, just it just takes you by surprise. <sighs> so good. So we get the aftermath of the battle. There's a huge windstorm that blows horses and shit in the air. Uh, Parn and Cashew and Delit and the others find shelter in the rocks. Ashram is not swept up by the weather because he's badass. He is just staring at Bell like dumbfounded. <laughs> Whoops. And then sees the demon sword. Yes. And decides, well, I guess if you're not going to use that. <laughs> you're not using this anymore. I'll just take that. We get a cut to Vognard. He's watching nearby. And sparks then just fly out of nowhere, and each spark goes to a different place on Lotos and awakens a fucking dragon. I mean, they're going to be five Macaco Lions. Well, I mean, we get five dragons. We get one in ice, one from underwater, one in a forest. One heads in the castle. One's in a volcano. volcano. (laughs) Well, I mean, there was only one in a volcano. And one's under a castle! (laughs) God damn it, they ripped off Voltron! (laughs) They did, too. Holy shit. Voltron came before. Yep. Mm. And this was a D&D game. Oh. They, <laughs> so the, they, the GM's just like, I bet they won't. They won't. I bet they've never seen Voltron. Or they have seen Voltron. They'll think this is really cool. One or the other. I bet a couple of American nerds 40 years from now will. <laughs> we'll have a heyday with We'll this. have watched a TV show. Yeah. Based on a novel based on this game. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. Oh, 
Oh, I don't even know where to go from here. <laughs> so Parn surveys all the dead bodies, and Fawn's body is one of those bodies, and it's just being left by Cashew. And Parn's like, uh, don't we want to take that with us? You know, like, maybe scrape it up off the ground a bit. And Cashew says, the dead return to the soil of Lodos. This is the destiny of all knights. Such is the way of war. Okay. Is that body going to decompose properly when it's just sitting on rock? Well, yeah. That's, but how, it's deco- not that's how decomposition works. It's not, it's you, not... know what, you know what makes a body not decompose uh-huh, properly? Uh-huh. We need to cram it full of preservatives and put it in an airtight oh. Tupperware and then stick that in a concrete oh. vault. Maybe you do need to teach me basic science. I definitely don't want to do the basic science podcast. Uh, and then we get an even better quote from Woodchuck where he says, Nameless soldiers are like dust, Parn. No one will ever remember them. Only those who earn their names are ever remembered. Which seems kind of like a weird throwaway line, but what follows next is really cool. Parn finds Smiley Joe Soldier and uh, recognizes him because of the necklace. Mm-hmm. And we get this moment of uh, understanding to Woodchuck's quote. Here you have this king, fought this epic battle. Everyone will remember him, but no one's going to remember this 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 soldier yep. who had this like kind of sweet personal moment with Parn. Parn never even gets his name, right? All yep, he gets nope. is, this is just something my son gave me for good luck. Yep, that's all he knows about him. That's But it, it, that adds so much more to the tragedy of war. Oh, this is such good. Just so fucking good. It's just so fucking good. It'd have been a little better if it wasn't shoehorned in the way it was. Right. If he wasn't just like, do do do. Hi. <laughs> My son made this out of macaroni. <laughs> it's going to give me good luck. Uh, oh, no, man. No, no it isn't. not at all. We end the episode with Wart once again saying, A war without meaning. A war that saved no one. Alas, yet another battle must be fought. As he stood amidst the sea of bodies, the young man plans to challenge Carla, the Grey Witch. Dun, dun, dun! Hey, Bill. Hi. Instead of waiting to the end of the episode, since we're definitely going to, re- just, just as soon as we're done with this, review episode 8, which is entitled Requiem for Warriors, how about we change things up and let's talk about episode 7 right now. I think that actually makes sense. There's a lot in this episode to unpack. There is a lot. Yes, there's quite a bit to unpack. So, I guess I reviewed it, so I'm going to start... Just wow. Like, it's so good. Like, when I think of Reckon of Lotus War, this is one of the moments that really stand out as being super memorable. And it's interesting because, one, it's the story about passing the torch mm-hmm. of power. It's a story that is two old friends who have come down to, like, this one moment where they have to decide kind of what to do to kind of like put everything on the line who want the same thing in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That they can't just agree and figure out a way for peace because mm-hmm. their ways are so drastically different. Yep. It's some of the some of the animation moments, again as we've talked about, not all, but some of the animation moments are just super cool. The death scene of Beld stands out as one of my favorite anime scenes because it's just so jarring. And like you said, uh, two points there with the animation. I can totally forgive cost-saving measures of having characters standing silently talking, mm-hmm. especially because they don't do it drastically. And it's hard. It's hard to notice it unless you're looking for it. Yeah, but you can forgive all that when you have scenes that are obviously where the time and money went into. Yep, it's just when a, when a show's just being cheap to be cheap. That's what's frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you can see that there was a little give and take, and I think that, like you said, the sepia tone 
it didn't cost him any more to make him sepia tone that would have made nope. it. But by making a sepia tone, like you said, it looks like a drawing. So it looks like a historic document. So it kind of tie. It's it's a cost savings, but they were smart about it and they used yeah. it to tell the story. Yeah, I agree, a hundred and ten percent. Totally works. Out. Even the even the down moments are intelligent. Yeah, no, super well put together. This entire episode, I really except for the the only thing that I'll, I'll give it a little shit for is reusing the same fight animations at the beginning of the episode with the goblins and the, yeah. and the kobolds and stuff. And even the fawn yelling, as silly as it was, like you can understand where yeah that worked better speaking a different language. Absolutely. And so in English, it just kind of came out awkward, and they couldn't mm-hmm. really hide his face or anything because it was him standing there directly yelling. So right, you can't. Yeah, what are was, you going to put in place? It was of just it? kind of a shoehorning. Absolutely, I agree. It's a great episode. It's a turning point. We're going to see yep. a completely different focus. We're going to get introduced, be introduced to a couple of new characters even coming up. It's we almost have... like this is the prelude. Like we, we, yeah, we joked about it before that he bought mentor and then he lost his mentor mm-hmm. in the background. Yep. And so, it, yeah. it really is. Like this seems like it seems crazy. like the next six episodes are going to be the the actual story. Yep. Which, again, I I just we talk about filler episodes and and things in anime. You know, we talk about like ways that Gurren Lagann could have been shortened up mm-hmm. and been more succinct and better. Even ways that like even Trigun. You know, we talk yeah. about certain certain parts that could have been truncated for better storytelling. Forcing thirteen episodes here in this. Pretty much every episode feels like, for the most part, important. Right. Which I like that. And even the ones that aren't are, are there for pacing, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. And really, that's that really comes down to what I was saying before. It doesn't cost anything to be creative, to be thoughtful, mm-hmm. to be careful. Yeah. To, to love what you're doing. And maybe the fact that it went through a D&D game into a novel, into a manga, into a role-playing game. Yeah. You know, well, all of that that had come before this OVA, you know, maybe all that informed why the OVA was the way it was. Maybe it was already thought about, already loved, already cared about, already mm-hmm. put down to paper. Makes sense. And so maybe that's, that's where that thoughtfulness comes from. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I think that's a good way of looking at it. And I think it's a, I think it's really kind of how they, like how this all kind of came about. It's there's, there's so many layers. And God, it's just so good. This episode was so good. I enjoyed this one immensely. Yep, I did too. All right. Well, I guess it's time to jump into episode eight. Are you ready? No. We are the Perilous Pretenders, an actual play role-playing podcast. I'm Christy Cutsforth, a drama nerd that needed a creative outlet to channel her weirdness into. And I'm Carrie Cutsforth. And I love creating engaging and authentic worlds with my friends and doing terrible, terrible impressions. Come adventure with us in the post-apocalyptic future. Come clubbing with us in the gothic punk scene of 1990s Chicago. Or fly with us to the galaxy far, far away. Our podcast is different than a lot of actual plays because we game in person with our local gaming community and we play lots of different types of role-playing games. From indie cult classics to games with a large and devoted fan base. Go out and make your own adventures. Life Life is is only only as boring boring as you are. Hey, we are back from the break card. We are. We are. It's been a long break. It was a very long break. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you for that. Yep. We're here 
for some more Lotus War. We just talked about episode seven. Just. Yep. And we're moving to episode eight, which I believe is titled Requiem for Warriors. It is. All right. Are you ready? Bill, this is your turn. Senshi no Requiem. Oh, I forgot that you were doing this. All right. (laughs) Senshi, that's cool. Sometimes I forget I do that. That's that's okay. Tell us about this really boss episode of Lotus War. I, you know, just a second. I just want to say, I, I can't not say this every time. I fucking love this anime. I do too. I like, still do. Like every single time I sit down to watch or rewatch or put notes together for this mini like series we're doing, like I just get so much joy out of this. And I apologize for anybody that doesn't play D and D. All the references I pack in because I caught myself doing it with this episode too. Yeah, um, <laughs> I believe I took some notes on that as well, D and D wise. And I think I'm pretty early on. I'm going to ask you a couple D and D related questions. So again, I apologize to our if listeners. If there weren't some. If there weren't so many fantastic gaming podcasts already out there, yeah, that would have been our bread and butter. Probably true. Like we could have made. I think that that market is, like you said, is fairly well cornered. It's it's flooded, and to to even be a mention, there are giants. Absolutely. So, and I know that this is very difficult for some of you since there is probably zero overlap between anime and gaming. Oh yeah, uh, none. So, none none at all. They're very different just, worlds. Just the three of us. That's basically it. Bill, tell us about Requiem for Warriors, episode 8 of Lotus War. As usual, we start with a recap. Yes, we do. That we've just seen. Yeah, we do. We we just reviewed that episode. Yes, we did. <laughs> just now. Just now. Mm-hmm. Well, they say that the death of both Fawn and Beld was the War of Heroes. It shook the world, blah, blah, blah. And nobody knows about the shadowy forces behind the scenes. Yes, I love the visuals of this too. It's just a, a close-up, kind of panning shot of the casket of uh, King Fawn's casket. Yep. And it's got like the shining armor on top of it and some flowers. And it's just, it's somber. And it's just a cool striking visual that we don't see people mourning. We just see the casket. Yep. I liked it a lot. I did too. Everything in the anime is beautiful. It, really. it definitely is. Even the repeating parts. We'll, more yeah, on no, that they're we'll, still they're still pretty. It's true. More on that later, though. We'll get we'll get more weird repeating parts later. So we cut to uh, Gim and Slain out in the woods, and Gim is making Lelia a wad of wood that he's whittled down from a bigger wad of wood. Well, okay. To be fair, <laughs> it's not just a wad. It's uh, it's like uh-huh. a, I guess. Okay, uh, <laughs> wrong show. No, I think it's um, it's supposed to be like a hairpiece. I eventually figure that out. Yes, but early on, I was like, it, it's just, <laughs> it's just wood that is less woody. Yeah, than... it's a smaller piece of wood than he started with. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. Slade is also unsure about this because he asks if she wouldn't like something a little nicer. <laughs> and Gim says it'll be fine. He gets kind of mad about it, actually. No, he definitely he's takes like, offense. She's not Carla. Yeah. Now, Carla wants shiny, glittery stuff. Layla will like my wad of wood. Yes. He's definitely having, he's struggling with, like, you know, wanting to get Lelia back. I also like the establishing shot before we see him whittling of the, of Carla's castle. Like, it, it just uh-huh. looks badass, and it's like, there's mist everywhere, and they're just, like, kind of, like, off, kind of nearby, and just kind of waiting to make their move. And Definitely it's, it's, home of an evil witch. Yes, very much. And we got scenes where we're introduced to Shiris. I sh- love Shiris. Uh, she has short pink hair, human woman. Mm-hmm. And she's accompanied by a big dude named Morrison. Yes. So here's my question. Okay. And when I first wrote this question down, I think I answered it myself. But 
is this a situation where you have two new people coming into the group that want to play D&D and you're shoehorning them in with like new characters or is this actually the story being flipped for the anime out of order from the original story because spoiler we might lose a couple of PCs coming up. <laughs> I think it's probably the second. Okay. Because I think in the original D&D game it's based on, mm -hmm. I think it's broke down into Parn's Party, Orson's Party, and Spark's Party. Oh, yeah, that's right. I think we talked about yeah. that. So it's kind of more the second. Okay. Where they're adding characters in because something might happen. Mm -hmm. They're being proactive. Yes. But I actually mentioned that earlier, I think. I think everybody knows what's going to happen. Now, my... Okay. All the players around the table know what's going to happen. True. And I don't want to spoil what's going to happen later. So, just in the back of your mind, be thinking, which pl player or PC is playing the, the new PC? Because that, I think, would be interesting to talk about. And I think I missed about. some of that. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> These two are mercenaries guarding a t that were guarding a town um, until the war ended. Yes. And they uh, get kicked out. Yeah, and the mayor's just like... Get out, you crazy, violent assholes. I Which think she, makes sense. Yeah, kind of. it does. And Shiris is all, like, what do they expect? We're mercenaries. Right. Which well, I think is good. She even asked him, she's like, doesn't that make you mad? Aren't you getting mad at that town? Which comes into weird focus later, too. It does. And Orson is just eerily calm. Yeah, quiet, calm. Almost bland. Not even being animated, really. Yes. Like, there's no like, emotion. Yep. Boom. We're at the next scene with these two. I know. They just Un gotta jump. Yeah, they're just unceremoniously watching the road. Yep. Um, and the main party are riding by. And Shearus... Shoehorning them in, as you would call that in D&D. Yep. He gads as a ranger. He gads as a ranger. She even does that, because she's naming off their races and classes. Yep. She's like, there's the druid, there's the fighter, there's the cleric. Yep. Oh, look, an elf. Oh, look, an elf. <laughs> um, They assume, for some reason... That they're all Marmites and they head and, and they're heading towards the village. Is that the is that what you would call like people from Marmo? That's what I call people from Marmo. Okay, all right, Marmites, huh? The Marmites versus the Vegemites. Oh, I had Vegemite. I was not impressed. Oh, Marmite's uh, the same thing. Okay, well, fair enough. It's just the English instead of the Australian. Okay, fair enough. I liked it, but I'm a freak. You are a freak. I bought a big thing of. I fruitcake. know you did. <laughs> I know you did. Yes. Narrator. <laughs> I love the narrator so much. Uh, I always forget it's Wart. Yes. He tells us that they're heading, the main party that is, are heading to Carla's castle when these two mercenaries show up and they dump Edo and Woodchuck right down a fucking cliff. Yeah. Off their How did they survive that? Well, you get a high enough level, falling damage doesn't really affect you anymore. Oh, uh, okay. No, you're that, right. That's, that... that's exactly how that plays out. Yep. Yeah? Yep. Okay. Okay, to be fair, as we're going to see later in this episode, I'm convinced that everyone has slow fall, like feather fall cast on them at all times. Permanent feather fall? Yeah, yeah. Possibly. But we'll get to that later. Um, Remind me of that. We'll talk about that. The trap at the bottom of the cliff is this Orson guy. I mean, well-placed trap. Yeah, absolutely. Shears and Parn are both basically stupid. They fight each other for a while, just yelling Marmo back and forth. <laughs> are you a part of the Marmo? Who's a Marmo? You're a Marmo. You're a Marmo. It's, Your mother's a marmo. It's pretty dumb. It's, <laughs> um, but although I do remember, this is one of those scenes that definitely stands out, the, the sword fight between, like this sword fight in general, this it, combat. It'd be a good sword fight yes. if they weren't being stupid back and yes. forth too. Yeah. It, it's one that has always stood out in my mind with this anime, especially with what happens in just a little bit. Right. Shiras is 
big thing is that they have an elf with them. Yeah, we get more of that, like, like you know, quaint racism that happens in fantasy stories. Well, not only that, but if she doesn't know the difference between a dark elf and Deedlet, that confirms to me that dark elves aren't a separate subspecies like drow are in D&D. They must just be elves from Marmo. They... I think there's definitely something to be said about that in this world, because there's a line, not in this episode, but in episode 9 or 10, where we're going to see a confrontation between Deedlet and Pirates, and essentially, Deedlet makes some sort of comment about her being a peasant. Huh. Which is an, which is, which is an interesting line. I wonder, I mean, Pirates definitely has darker skin, mm-hmm. but I wonder if that's... Not a drow thing so much as just a... She just happens to. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, we or get Or maybe that... they designed her as a drow, and then they kind of backed off the drow thing later. Maybe. It's possible. Yeah. But we Again, definitely get that... very confusing. That really confusing, weird racism that we see. So Parn ends up disarming Shiras, and they stand there talking for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why the disarm is the thing that makes Orson flip his shit. But he straight up goes Super Saiyan. Yeah, he does. And I think that what we're supposed to believe here is that he feels such a strong connection to Shiras that he, he, it's just, it's a trigger for him. Right. But wouldn't it make more sense if Parn wounded her to the point that she couldn't fight anymore? And True. he would have flipped out there? Because all he did was disarm her. He was holding a sword he to her. He was holding though. a sword to her. But he was ta- they were talking, it's just standing there. Right. He was now all the way down on, on that cliff, the bottom of the cliff, though, too, so he probably couldn't hear the conversation. Yeah, that's true, too. Shit gets real, yeah, though. He, this is great. He, like, one-punch man leaps his way to the top of the cliff mm-hmm. and just starts wrecking shop. Uh, yeah. He breaks a fucking wall with his sword. Yep. Amazing. Shiras decides she wants to try to calm him down, which this is why I said... It makes me kind of wonder why she was trying to get him pissed off in the first place. Because mm-hmm. she's telling Parn, like, drop your sword, don't make him mad, he's freaking out. And it's like, why were you trying to piss him off at the people in the town? Were you trying to send Berserker or Orson to the town? I think Shiras is a flawed character. <laughs> I think she, even though she's been traveling with Orson for so long and understands him, she's also hot-headed herself. Like, that's just her character. She's So that was a bad, that was a, it was a bad move as opposed to a yes. evil move. Yes, I think she's just... She just forgot because she gets so hot-headed. Right. And I think it frustrates her. Like, she understands why Orson doesn't get emotional, but at the same time, she does get kind of frustrated. Like, why am I the only one mad here? You know, like, why? Like, there's this, I think, underlying thing of how can you be so cool and calm? Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, she keeps forgetting. I forget. Yeah. So she winds up parrying Orson's attack. Which is really impressive. Yes, it is. Certainly. It's because he broke a wall. And she's trying to get him calm. It's almost there. And then dumbass Parn tries to attack him because he's flat-footed. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, he doesn't have a dex bonus now. Bang. Yeah, that's exactly uh, <laughs> that's ex- 100% what happens yep. here. Wait, um, can I attack him? And the DM's like, I guess. I mean, yep. if you, do you, are you sure? Yeah. Which he stays that way though. Like, it, it, he does stay calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess because he, him getting attacked is not as big a deal as her getting hurt. Right. Um, and Dila's just like, to paraphrase, Dila says, Fuck it, let's bounce with these nut jobs. I ain't got time for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think doesn't she? She's the one that realizes. Oh my god, he's a berserker. Yeah, like and she's he, like, I, I am not dealing with this. Yeah, says we should not be handling. This is way above our our, our CR. Yep. Like we need to get the hell out of here. Uh, we got back to Slain and Gim, and they argue about having a plan to save Lelia mm-hmm. instead of 
Well, Gim really just wants to want it really bad, wish, hope, and maybe ask some things, I guess. Yeah, maybe. He doesn't He doesn't have a plan. No, that's, he has zero plan. So he's like, think about it. Let's figure out what we're going to do. And he's like, no. He's emotionally driven. Yep. He says, this is, I, I've waited too long. I mean, again, playing off of the stereotypes, I think, of like the, the racial stereotypes in D&D, you know, like... A little more headstrong. Well, little more... supposed to be patient, though. They're stubborn, but they're patient. Oh, well, true. Well, maybe, okay, maybe they're not. And you know, he he's... just, he's just sort of like, hopes and dreams and an X. Yeah. Murder hobo. Yeah. Uh, break card. We don't do those when we do the dual episodes. <laughs> it's funny every time. Uh... So we come back from there, doesn't need a break. Mm-hmm. And, like I guessed, this begging and wishing plan, it goes over the, with Carla like a fart in church. Yeah, uh, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, does not go well. And then she tells him, Lelia is gone from his body entirely. I like that Gim tries the entire time to talk, like, to Lelia. Like, you are Lelia! Talk yeah, to me! Come out here, Lelia. Yeah. Yeah, and she's like, nope, she's gone. Haha. Yeah, Carla isn't really having any of the shit. Yep. And then the lightning, so she beseeches the ancient spirits of evil. To become Carla, the ever-living. No! <laughs> no! 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 No. It kind of. I mean, yes. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that much. But luckily for Gim, everybody else just shows up. Yeah, no, he's really lucky because this was not going well. The DM's like, yeah, the rest of the table's bored. Everybody show up. Yeah. So Parn just, again, he makes a habit of talking to people and asking dumb questions while he's fighting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked why she killed Bell. She would have done the same to Fawn had he won the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, it's a love of Lodas to save Lodas from anybody taking too much power. And I think there was a, I don't remember who she was talking to, and maybe it was Cashew, but like, you know, this, this is her MO. Like we, yep. like when someone asked, like, you know, like, wouldn't, would you rather I give Lodos to you? Like she doesn't care. Yeah. Like she just wants that chaos to yep. con, everything to constantly yep. be in she motion. Doesn't want, she doesn't want the world steady and peaceful because that means one person's in control mm-hmm. and that one person is going to get corrupt and stupid. Yeah. I've seen worse motivations on villains in anime. No, I mean, I've seen worse like motives in D&D games too. Oh, that's true too, yeah. So she proceeds to use all of her legendary layer actions to just whoop on all the heroes. Uh, she does unbelievably well uh, here in this combat. One of what she does is either a psychic or an illusion or something attack on Parn. I'm showing him her home of Castul. Yes, Castul. Which is just Castle. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of lazy naming. My home of Castle Castul. Fire Dragon Mountain. Uh, granted. Mm. Fair enough. And then we figure out, no, it's actually an enchantment spell. Because she's trying to use it to turn Parn to her side. I did want to know before you talk about this scene, though. Yeah. And this is the Featherfall thing. I think it's, it's like Gim is like falling down, like uh, after getting like thrown by Carla. Bounces and, when, off that and like bounces off. Field. Yeah. And then like he's falling super slow and they like, they manage to catch him. And I think there's a scene later where Parn comes at her and he's like coming down like super slow again. It's just watch that. Like anytime you watch someone falling or jumping and attacking, it's so weird and super slow. I wonder if it's Slain or Dealic casting. Maybe. Like, using their turn to yes, the buff. That could very well be. Um, but yeah, no, we get this scene where you're right, where he essentially is like, where where she is essentially like, you know, I will like give you what you want, and and it made me wonder: is she offering him to like be her servant and fight for her, or it, does she want that sweet sweet parm body? Probably, my guess is since she has no reason to leave the Lelia body right now, she probably wants parm on her side okay. to help her keep 
the war go. I mean, having an agent, a trusted agent within one of the warring one sides. One of the sides, yeah, absolutely. Would be a, a good choice. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. But like I said, I think it was enchantment magic. I would say that, yes. Which is kind of a clever way to do an enchantment with like a, a cutaway scene. That is really cool. Like, that's that's a neat idea. Explain your backstory and... and mm-hmm. I was part of a, of a people that had too much power, and then we blew up because of it. Which... Which is basically... The same plot from Wolf's Reign yeah, right. that we had referenced on that Wolf's Reign yep, episode. It's weird, the comparisons. Carl is a noble. Carl is a noble. So he makes his will save. I'm guessing he had advantage on that role because of his father's armor and sword. <laughs> yeah, there's a convenient, like, scene where visually he's looking down at his sword. I'm sorry, wisdom save in this, in 5th edition. Yes, very much. There's a scene where he looks down at his sword and he sees that reflection, that... that image from an earlier episode where he sees his father walking away from him. So, like, because, like, she says something like, you know, cast off your armor. Yep. And he's like, no, I'm wearing the armor of my father. Which I thought was a cool moment. Yeah, it was, absolutely. Not to make fun of this in D&D terms at all, I think it's really, if a DM did this, where it's like, I'm giving you advantage because you're wearing your father's armor and she brought it up, and the enchantment spell is this backstory to make you, convince you to be on her Mm -hmm. side. It's not just the bad guy convincing you to be on their side. Yeah. You know, it's a whole thing. Like, that is a really cool DM. Yeah, I think that, it's awesome. That might be things I incorporate in the future games. That's, yeah, abs- that's really neat. It is. I like that a lot. I also want to note one last thing about that scene with between Carla and Parn. Uh-huh. She mentions that she has existed for five centuries. Yes. So, like, her time with that, with Beld and Fawn as part of, like, those original six heroes, like, she had already must have been fucking with stuff, like, way before that. Yep. Like, she had already been, like, hopping bodies, yep, she which was. is just, that blew my mind. I'd never caught that before, that she had existed before, even before those original six. I always thought that's where she started, but no, yeah. that goes back a long way. Yeah, that she was somebody else's body at that point. That's just crazy. Yep. So cool. That is really cool. A really neat detail. Well, this is where we learn that Gim is leaving the party. Aww. Because the hat does get removed, but at the cause of his life. While she's yes. just blasting full force. Uh, yeah, he takes the full brunt of that blast. Yep. Which is a cool, again, a cool visual. It is. But, like, it's like, oh, no. No, not Kim. He, uh, he's making the heroic sacrifice. And he's using his little shitty wood whittling thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, like, he, like, is essentially, like, down on his knees. And, like, he's in pain. And he opens up his hand. He's he's clutching the hairpiece. Yep. And it does that thing where, you know, the typical trope where it's, like, they notice... The guard is down, she, like, Lele comes out for a little bit. It it gave Lelia's player an advantage on her on, saving throw. On a saving throw, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then all the other players do the asshole player thing where they try to put their two cents in the big dramatic scene. Yeah. And it's just DM magic, bing, nope. Yeah, it's like, guys, this isn't your scene. Like, everyone attacks. They're like, yep. I attack, I, I leap and attack, and they're bounced off uh, one after the other. But then Gim finally gets his... Yeah, he throws his... He, and... The DM's like, go ahead and roll, and oh yeah, that's a 20. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a cool scene. You want to describe what happens with the axe? Actually, I'll let you do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. Like, he, like, you know, we get Parn coming down with the sword, he gets bounced off. I think Deedlet throws some, like, knives that yeah. get, like, bounced off. I'm pretty sure also Woodchuck tries to... I think he throws some knives for sure. Yeah, and, and that doesn't work. And then, in that moment of him, of, of her being distracted, he picks up his freaking great axe hucks it, somehow knocks just the circlet off and not just chops her in their forehead and kills her. Right. And that causes 
a really cool scene where like she starts screaming and like essentially it's pulling Carla's spirit out of her body yep. and back into the circlet alone. Yep. It was cool. It was very cool. But but we learned that Woodchuck must also be leaving the group. Yeah. Well, before that though, like okay. we get the scene where Gim essentially is dying. Right, well, yeah. And you get the scene again where Ato is, like, down by him. And it's like, you're a fucking cleric. Yeah, do your job. Do something. I didn't take any, I didn't take resurrection spells. I didn't, I didn't take healing spells today, sorry. Yeah, I thought we were fighting the big, ba- you said we were fighting a big boss battle. I, I took only harm spells. Yeah. But then didn't do anything in the combat. Worst but fucking cleric. He just buffed the whole time. That's where the Featherfall came from. No, there you go. I know Featherfall's not usually a cleric, but one of the mains probably has it. Sure. Yeah, he just has this heroic sacrifice, this heroic death, and everybody's sad, and mm-hmm. then we cut to outside. Yes. Which... It's not even outside at first. Like, it's literally, you like see them the all morning, yeah. and it, like it's like literally 50 feet away. He's just behind a little bit of rock. Yeah. He's like, Ugh. He's over there, like, having a cigarette. Yeah, he is. He's just like, <laughs> that was good. And then, here comes the circlet. Yeah, it just horror movies him. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, no! Not that they aren't 50 feet away and can't hear him screaming. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, no! Like, red eyes come out of the pool, and they just like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking weird. Which is why he's leaving the group, because they're just, they're letting it happen. Yes. And then, apparently, Carla was bullshitting, because Leila is alive. Mm-hmm. Like, she's in her body, and everything's cool. Her consciousness is there. Mm-hmm. Because I first took that as, like, well, sorry, destroyed her soul. See, I always thought of it as, like, the typical, I mean, that's a trope, like, where, like, the consciousness is, like, just kind of, like, subdued. Well, yeah, but she says, like, her consciousness is no longer in this body. She's probably lying. That's what I'm saying. She must, yeah. be, she must she was, have been bullshitting. Yeah, she was bullshitting. She was definitely bullshitting. Because she just said, like, because, again, I know you're not a Buffy or Angel fan. No. Uh, not by any stretch of the imagination. Late in Angel. Mm-hmm. One of the characters uh, gets possessed by this kind of great old one from Lovecraft, basically. Okay. And it's explicitly said in that, in that, that when that thing entered her body, it didn't just take her body. It incinerated her soul. Yeah. Like, there was, it totally annihilated her from all existence. And that's kind of what I thought Carla was saying mm-hmm. when she said, like, Laylee is not here anymore. I'm ancient and I'm powerful and when I took this body, it, I didn't just take this body or I didn't just subsume the... Mm-hmm. The consciousness, I I eradicated anything that was in here. This body is mine permanently. <laughs> mine now, bye. Um, and that's, she must have just been lying. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's like, don't try. Nope, nothing here. Nothing to see here. Yep. And then we get a couple final shots, right? One specific. Mm-hmm. And that's Woodchuck. Well, before that, we do get the shot of, well, you guys, you mentioned it. She's like praying at the at the, at the altar. We already said that. You're right. Um, or at the, at the gravestone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah, cause she is back. Okay. Sorry. I, I'd forgotten you said that. Sorry. Good. Yeah, she's at the gravestone praying for. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. But we do get Woodchuck. What yeah. about Woodchuck? Woodchuck is the star of the, the end of the original Diablo game. <gasps> oh my God. You're right. <laughs> he's the dark wanderer. He's got the cloak wrapped around him. He's got the thing on his head glowing red. Yeah. And he's wandering off into the desert waste. That's amazing. Yeah. No, he does. And yep. Carla has her new body. Yep. And that's it. That's it. That's episode eight, Requiem for Warriors. And man, whew. We already talked about episode seven. Let's talk about episode eight. Yep. It was your review. What are your thoughts? I mean, super good. Everything in Lodas, it's kind of, it, with a few rare exceptions, most of these episodes I'm enjoying the hell out of. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy the overarching story more than anything. It's, mm-hmm. Each individual episode is kind of hard to pick out, but this is definitely a high point because you have a main character die. Yeah. And we were all kind of shocked originally to watch this, I remember. Like, uh-huh. they, they killed some, like, one of these characters. They don't do that very often. Yeah. 
it was as an older, more jaded player or player DM viewer, viewer. all of it. Yeah. It's pretty easy to see like, oh, they killed off two of the players. They decided they wanted to wrap up his quest and try something different. Right, exactly. Yeah. So my question then is, the player who played Gim and the player who played Woodchuck, which one is Shiris and which one is Orson? Here's my thought process. Okay. I'm guessing the player who's playing Shiris is probably female. Okay. I'm guessing she started out with Woodchuck. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that was why the DM was more okay with putting a female entity into Woodchuck's body. Oh, interesting. Because the player was female. Oh, interesting. And then, so I think maybe they decided they wanted to play a female character and be a little more uh, combat competent instead of Mm -hmm. being the stealthy Mm -hmm. rogue guy. Realized that wasn't working out for them. And typically, the guy with a big weapon, whether they want to play a dwarf or they want to play a berserker or they want to play whatever, typically they stick with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's possible they decided they wanted to play something different, and they switched roles. Mm. I could definitely see a thief going to play a berserker. Yeah, but going from a, a dwarven fighter to a human fighter—that's not a big jump either. No, so I'm guessing it's probably Woodchuck to Cirrus, Gim to Orson. Yeah, now that you say that, I think that's that's good. My only thought was knowing how there were like the connection between Gim and Parn. Like I thought it would just be kind of funny for the character to be like, now I'm playing. Shearus, and I'm gonna be like kind of attracted to you, sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I could definitely, but but you actually make a more compelling argument. Yep. I, I think that makes perfect sense. Yep, yeah. If I had to really guess in, in back in the day, I'm guessing Parn and Orson probably had the same player. You're probably right, and Shearus and Deedlet probably had the same player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're probably right. That makes perfect sense, actually. Anything else on this episode? Not especially, okay, not especially, no, okay, yeah, this is good. I mean, I just I'm just so happy talking about this show. I just, I can talk about the show, like, constantly. It's so good. Like, it just holds up. The story, like, the pacing and the story and how everything's, like, tied together and intricate. Like, it's just really good storytelling. Uh, I love the narration. I just, everything about the way that they presented and put this together in the OVA is just, it's just spectacular. Right, it is. I find it interesting now. I mean, as old as we are, I guess I do have another thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Really, how much we're still learning about DMing and playing D and D, and how much new ideas we're pulling out of this? Yeah, of, of this that is, old that... anime that we watched a million years ago. Oh yeah, absolutely. That influenced all of our gaming. Oh, of course it did. Yeah, like I mean, we talked about it. Like I essentially just lifted yep. my world out of out of like ideas from this, and yep. then other other references to kind of build it together. But it's interesting now we're seeing so much, mm-hmm. so much new material. Mm-hmm. For fodder that we never we never thought about had using. never even yeah. considered before, yep. which is cool, especially with a show that, again, like you said, we watched a bunch of times and is older. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Oh man, <sighs> so good, so very good. I I just want to like one final mention for Carla. Like Carla's such a great character. She is. Like she's like her motivation is just so unique. Like, the villains, I think the biggest strength of this anime is just the strength of the villains and their motivations. Yep. Like, you know, the only one that is, like, kind of like your stereotypical one is Vognard. Yeah. But, like, all of the other villains, like, especially when we get into these next two episodes, especially episode 10, you really start to kind of understand where the villains are coming from, and you, 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 not almost, you do feel bad for the villains. The villains could almost have been a party in an evil game. Mm-hmm. Like, you could see where they 
built these characters as an evil party. Mm-hmm. But put the time and effort and love into mm-hmm. making them interesting characters in their own right. Absolutely. I, I don't think that's probably what happened. No, I doubt it. But it, I, you but could, it could. You could totally sit down at a, a con game and hand somebody Ashram, Pyrtus, Vognard, Carla, mm-hmm. and have a and d party. Absolutely you could. Oh, I want to run that now. And Wagner is definitely the asshole who's like, fuck it, I just want to be evil as fuck. Uh, me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't do evil mm-hmm. well because I don't do evil subtly. Mm-hmm. All my evil characters are fucking crazy assholes. Yeah. Yeah. That's like that's I, true. I would be Wagner in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, oh, so good. Huh. But next time we're going to be talking about two more episodes of Record of Lotus War. It's episodes 9 and 10. Uh, episode 9, The Scepter of Domination. Uh, which I believe I will be talking about. Shihai no Oshaku. Thank you. And episode 10, The Demon Dragon of Fire Dragon Mountain. Karyuzan no Maru. That's a lot fewer words. Yes. Compared to the, it the, is. the Demon Dragon of Fire Dragon Mountain. Um, both of those also very good episodes. Yes. But we'll talk about that next time. This has been Toonie Japanese, a podcast where one, two, two dudes. Two dudes. That's all we usually do anymore. Talk about anime. Josh was here for a, you know. We saw him. We saw him. We kicked him out. Yeah. Didn't we fire him? Uh, I don't really uh, know how to fight. My name's Andy. And surely you haven't forgotten my face. I'm Bill. I haven't. I look at it the entire time we podcast. Yes. And we will see you next time. Yep, we will. Bill, we won't. You'll hear us. Thanks for listening to Tuning Japanese. For more information, visit our website, tuningjapanese.com, like our Facebook at facebook.com slash tuningjapanese, and follow our Twitter at tuningjapanese. You can also get a hold of the show by sending us an email at tuningjapanese at gmail.com. Please help support the show by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating and review. You can also go to patreon.com slash tuningjapanese to get all kinds of bonus content and help support the show monetarily. Tuning Japanese is part of the Questionable Endeavor Network. For more information on other podcasts and articles, check out questandnetwork.com. While you're there, check out other great shows like the Shadow Vane Podcast, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, Lasher Sanitarium, Raw Attitude Podcast, New Blood Rising, The Reanimator Podcast, Fairless Pretenders, and our newest show, and sometimes their scotch. can't just leave him here. The dead return to the soil of Lodos. That is the destiny of all knights. Such is the way of war. Nameless soldiers are like dust, Parn. Nobody will ever remember them. Only those who earned their names are ever remembered. 
a gift from my son for good luck. Parn. It's just not right, Deed. I swear it's just not right. You must stop, Carla, or else Lodos may face an even worse disaster. A war without meaning, a war that saved no one. Alas, yet another battle must be fought. As he stood amidst a sea of bodies, the young man vowed to challenge Carla, the Grey Witch. <laughs>